You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi there, everyone. Welcome to Inside Healthcare, another edition of NCQA's own podcast. Joining us today is Suzanne Madden. She's CEO of the Verdon Group, and we'll let her uh, tell you about the Verdon Group in just a moment. More important to our listeners, so to speak, maybe not, but more important to our listeners is that she's a certified content expert. One of a veteran one, one who uh, went through the training quite a while back, and one of the first leaders. And today we're going to talk about all things patient-centered, patient-centered medical home, the benefits of patient-centered medical home, and what it can do for practices. Of course, we all know uh, what it can do for patients, but uh, Suzanne's going to talk to us about what it does um, for practices as well. Welcome to the to the podcast, Suzanne. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here today. Hey, um, start by telling us about the Verdon Group. What do you all do? Sure. So the Verdon Group was founded in 2007. Uh, it basically founded the company as a way to help level the playing field for physicians to understand that they were really working in a business environment, to also be able to educate them on the nature of healthcare delivery. Most physicians tend to look at uh, themselves as being clinicians. We have often heard physicians lament and say, I just want to take care of patients. I don't want to deal with all of this other stuff, the insurance companies, the regulations, quality improvement, all of this sort of thing. So we basically uh, wanted to set up a consulting firm that would really help and assist, in particular, independent practices. We do a lot of work in pediatrics and primary care, um, a number of other specialties as well, but uh, we really saw the value of helping primary care practices be able to do things in a sort of a better, smarter, and more efficient way. So that was really the genesis of the Verdon Group since t uh, 2007, so we're in our 11th year now. Uh, we have approached uh, our work from a number of different perspectives. In 2008, when NCQA launched their patient-centered medical home program, we were really excited uh, to see that, actually, because we figured that this was a good process, if nothing else. It was a good process, a good framework for practices to really be able to engage in healthcare delivery in a way that was systematic, right? It, it can be very chaotic, particularly at primary care practices, uh, whether it's pediatrics and you have 100 you know, kids coming through mm. your, your doors every day, or primary care where you're really dealing with a lot of care coordination, a lot of chronic diseases in, in adult populations. We really liked this uh, model because we felt like this is a way to be able to get the team behind it and, and really sort of deploy healthcare in a way that was much more systematic. Um, obviously, over time, the PCMH program has developed and improved. Uh, we're excited about that too. 2008, frankly, was a bit more of a paper exercise, right? It was about sort of, you know, getting things down on paper and getting your policies and procedures together. By 2011, we were really seeing those processes morph into more uh, of um, improvement and how do you sort of create these good uh, quality improvement programs and can you get some traction there? By 2014, we were really seeing that, you know, the goal was to actually improve, not just attempt to improve, you know, and so there were a lot more constructs built in that way to help uh, practices achieve that. And now here we are, you know, in, in 2018 with the 2017 standards in place, complete renovation of the program. QPASS is fantastic, right? We find that that's very user-friendly, uh, really uh, easy for practices to use, and that the program has evolved to, to the point now where we see behavioral health embedded into the patient-centered medical home, and we see some really great structures to just help these practices get better and better and better, you know, as they go through these cycles. I'm going to steal words they were quite a way back, but better, smarter, more efficient. That's what you were looking for initially. Absolutely. With PCMH, have you found it? 
We have. We have. As I say, 2008 uh, was very heavy in terms of the paperwork, right? And so we had practices sort of feeling like, oh, it's, you know, it's taking a lot of time to compile all of these things. They didn't have a lot of processes and policies and procedures on paper, right? Most of this lived in the heads of the physicians. Um, most of uh, practices that were operating well was because they had good sort of physician-nurse dyads, right, where they just sort of could, could read each other's minds and be able to do things properly and appropriately for the patients. Of course, what happens with that is, you know, you've got a physician that's constantly thinking about, oh, did I get little Timmy's, you know, blood work back? Did we get the x-ray back on so-and-so, right? Now you have um, a, a much more efficient model that allows for the team to support the work that's being done. So a lot of proactivity, right, as opposed to running around putting out fires all day. Now there's a system and an approach to basically be able to make sure that if little Timmy's blood work didn't come back within the 72 hours that it was supposed to, there's a tickler on that, right? There's a notification that pops up for you in the EMR. There are systems in place to help get that done without the physician constantly having to remember to do these sorts of things. So we absolutely find that it's much more efficient, right? Because the, the, the systems and the processes support the work rather than the other way around, right? We find that it's better care because things aren't falling through the cracks, right? When you have those sorts of systems in place and you have a team supporting it, you're not worried about the one thing that didn't happen that actually was critical to that patient, right? So we absolutely have seen that to be better care. And then I think just really the focus on quality improvement in and of itself and creating a framework for how do you actually begin to track that? How do you decide what are you gonna improve? How do you actually um, sort of measure that over time to see are you improving and are you meeting your goals, I think that in and of itself is just such a high value piece and component of this program in and of itself. Can you tell me, of, uh, obviously you've worked with a lot of practices, can you tell me sort of a glaring, a story, a glaring story of a practice that was suspect at first about all this and then transformed and and what their reviews were after they transformed. Well, we've put through uh, 250 practices through PCMH since 2008, more than 1,000 providers. Uh, so we have a lot of experience in this area. So I don't need to think of one or two stories. I will tell you probably 80% of the practices that we put through PCMH, you're dragging some physicians kicking and screaming through the process. So it's actually more common than, <laughs> than, than not. Um, I, I should actually say it used to be more common. We find now actually that physicians are much more receptive to it. They really see themselves more as leaders now and, and are able to sort of step into that patient-centered medical home, you know, sort of leadership role um, much more readily. Than, than they used to. So if we even look back, you know, five years, um, we, we really had a tough time convincing some physicians that this is really worth doing. Part of the reason for that was because until they go through the process, they don't really understand the benefits of that process. So here's what I love about patient-centered medical home. Often we talk about the clinical improvements. I'm an operational process person, right? So ops is, is sort of in my blood, process improvement is in my DNA. So to me, I actually find that some of the, the, the most valuable benefits for practices is really in how they're improving their processes, how they're actually able to deliver that care um, in ways that they weren't before, right? So I talked a little bit about the proactivity. Being able to walk into your practice every day and know, have a huddle with your team and know that you guys have a fundamental understanding of every patient that's coming in for the morning session and that things are in place, ready to go, and nobody is worried about something falling through the cracks, really creates a very different atmosphere. We have actually used patient-centered medical home as part of the mission for some of the practices that we set up, right? It becomes part of the personality of the practice itself, right? So in other words, the culture of the practice that these employees are galvanized around. Um, we find practices that may not have been terribly financially uh, um, 
flush, let's say, you know, with cash, some of them look to PCMH to say, well, will insurance companies pay me more? Can we actually sort of do better? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes, no. Depends what area of the country you're in. Depends on what payers you have. Um, frankly, some of the payers that used to pay for PCMH did it for a period of years, and now, you know, this has become a very mature program. Um, they're sort of sunsetting some of these programs over time. But I look at that and I say to these physicians, listen, don't worry so much about the payers paying you money. Look at operationally what you save, right? If you're more efficient in terms of your deploying your resources, you're saving some money there. Um, if you have recall systems in place, you're bringing patients back in timely, you're bringing them in when they should, you actually have more visits, but in a more streamlined fashion, right? Most doctors say, don't give me more patients, don't give me more visits, where, you know, we're busting at the seams. And to that, we look at and say, well, because most of that is same-day haphazard stuff coming in, you can be much more operationally efficient and smooth out those bumps, and particularly seasonal bumps that we see, for example, in pediatrics by having good recall systems. And so what we find over time is within a year of a practice transitioning into PCMH, they're much more financially solvent. They have much better processes. They're actually leaner and meaner in terms of how their resources are deployed, which is really, um, uh, I think, a fundamental point because most practices think that it's going to cost them more to implement patient-centered medical home. They say, oh my gosh, we're going to have to hire care coordinators and do all this sort of stuff. If you're a large organization, the answer is yes, because you're really going to put in different processes to manage things in different ways. But smaller practices are really just using the resources they have to do workflows in different ways than they were doing before. And what they're finding is it's much more efficient and people are much happier in their jobs because of it. And there's where I think uh, there's a money savings too, because you create a new culture um, for your uh, staff, but also for your patients, and it's almost a marketing tool. That's exactly right. Correct? That's exactly right. And so, you know, when these practices transition, sometimes at the end of the project, they'll say, you know, Suzanne, what do we do next? Like, what do we do with this now? You know, okay, we've gone through it, we feel the value of it, but, you know, what, what do we sort of do with it? And to that we say, you use it for your culture, absolutely for your, for your culture. Right, because people like to work as part of a team. They don't like to work in silos. They like to actually collaborate and do things together. And everybody likes to have ownership of their piece and their part to play in that. Um, but we also say, you know, educate your patients. Of course, as part of this program, you are. You're letting your patients know what is a patient-centered medical home, how can they access you after hours, and do those sorts of things. But often the quality piece is sort of left out of that conversation. And so we like to say, you know, put that seal, put that NCQA seal on your website. Put it on your marketing materials. Put it on your business cards, right? And reinforce with your patients. Because we're a patient-centered medical home, we're able to do things better, smarter, more efficiently for you, and you have a higher quality of care than you would down the street at a different practice. Talk about some specific efficiencies uh, and how practices can gain efficiency by going through transformation. Oh my goodness, where, where do we there's start? There's a million, Yeah, right? there really is. I mean, there's so many aspects. I think, you know, the one thing that always stands out to me is that, that huddle, right? And so the huddle is really that meeting where you bring the team together and you sort of look at the day. That is not a half hour meeting. It doesn't even need to take 15 minutes. What we find is a physician will come in, huddle with their, you know, their MAs or their nurses, depending on, you know, who's on the floor that day, look at the session coming up, identify those patients. The nurses themselves the day before are looking at those things and seeing, are there any tests that need to be done? Are there any vaccines that are missing? Is there anything that we need to do, you know, differently? And they have it in order for that morning, right? And so we, we see that, you know, some of this is just, um, being able to put eyes on things instead of reacting to it, right? When you have that patient in the room, 
that's not the time to figure out, oh gosh, they, you know, they, they missed their vaccine, you know, let's do that vaccine order, but next minute mom has another question about, well, actually, there's some depression going on as well, and can we do that? All of a sudden the vaccine's forgotten about, the focus is on the depression screening and doing other things, right? So you don't want things to fall through the gaps. You wanna be able to be very proactive about it. So we love the huddle because we find that very efficient, that just stays on top of things. Um, but even at the front desk, right, being able to uh, transform how you schedule patients, so part of the PCMH program is being able to accommodate same-day sick and well, not just sick visits, right? So being able to have that time available on the schedule, being able to slot those patients in so that patients are getting the, the service and the treatment they need, you know, as they need it. Um, has really created uh, a lot more efficiency at the front desk because now these folks are empowered, your receptionists are empowered to put these patients into that schedule, right? So often there's a jam-packed schedule. It, you got to keep calling the doctor, oh, so-and-so needs to come in. Can we squeeze him in somewhere? Mm -hmm. What are we going to do with this, right? And so you're dealing with, you know, these 15-minute visits, regardless of whether it's an asthmatic or, you know, ear, nose, and throat, you know, so, so it really has created just a different way of sort of managing these workflows, so you've got a lot more efficiency there. What we often find is that practices can see more patients in a day, but in a much more calm way and much more streamlined and running on time. It is so anti, uh, I, I can't think of the word right now, but it, it feels so unnatural to fill those spots for, uh, or to leave those spots open That's for right. many people, right? That's right. But in the end, it pays off. That's exactly right. And you can you can drive that too, right? So if you're finding it's a slow day and you've got three slots open in the afternoon, you call those patients that may be coming in for the next day or a couple of days later and say, hey, we have a spot today. Is today more convenient for you? Every time we see those slots filled, right? So the practice is able to be proactive about filling those slots if they need to do that as well. But they always get filled. That's the thing, you know. And, and you talk to a practice that goes to complete open access scheduling. You know, most doctors are horrified to even think about that. What do you mean we don't? pre-schedule anything, right? That phone rings all day and patients come in all day. I mean, it's the nature of urgent care, right? But you also are adding well visits and things in there well, too. But as a patient, the, you know, there's nothing better than being able to call and get in on the same day. Oh, absolutely. When you're, when you're concerned about something. Now, some practices we know, we hear about these, some practices say, well, we're doing all that. <laughs> we're doing our PCMH thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they may be, I mean, I don't think they're, they're fibbing, but you need the, the NCQA structure, don't you? It, it's a much tighter framework than, than what you're doing. So, there, so, so much of what primary care doctors do, whether it's pediatrics or adult care or even geriatric care, so much of that is actually embedded within that PCMH. So I often tell our clients, you're already halfway there. Right? You are doing a lot of these things, but you're not doing it in a formalized way, and you're not doing it in a highly structured way that you're gaining the efficiencies for doing it. What you're doing is you've added a whole bunch of stuff to the dysfunction that you were dealing with every day anyway. So let's get rid of that dysfunction. Let's organize you, streamline you, get your workflows going in the way that they should be, and then add some more of the stuff in that's really going to benefit you over the long term. And that is truly transformative. That's where we see physicians at the end of it say, you were right. We've come through this and we actually are happier, better, and more efficient than we ever were before. And that structure helps you identify things that you may not have identified without it. You know, I'll tell you, so often I hear physicians say, I've wanted to implement this quality improvement program for the last five years, but we've just never had a way to do it or a focus on it or carved out the time to do it. And so often we find that physicians are looking for the opportunity to implement a program, whether it's like asthma, you know, uh, asthma improvement, right? So making sure, for example, your asthmatics get their flu shot early in the season, just tracking that alone can be really transformative for them, but it also improves the quality of their work, right? It, it, it's, it's a lot more, um, 
fulfilling to do that and to manage care in a way that they're seeing results and they're seeing better outcomes than just you know drinking from a fire hose every day when you get into work and just sort of you know taking care of what you need to. So I'm a practice and I'm starting to, uh, the process of getting recognized. How you talked a little bit about this earlier, saying you know ig ignore the payers and pay or pay uh, the the folks who are you know putting money in your pocket um, for transformation. But uh, I guess what I want to ask is, how do you approach your payers when you start this process, and then and then when you've completed it, to say, hey, we're doing stuff. Can you? Right, right. Reward us. Yep. So a clarifying point on that. Don't ignore your payers. Right. What I'm saying is don't use that as a central tenet for stepping off on a patient-centered medical home program. <laughs> we love our clients. We want our clients to get paid for the right. work that don't they do. ignore right. them. Exactly yeah. right. So, Literally. Right. So to your point, now that you're a PCMH, that has value, right? You know, right. you want to be able to capitalize on that value. So we absolutely... Wherever you can. Wherever you can. Absolutely. And so we, we like to say to our clients, go to the insurance companies that you participate with, First ask, do they have a PCMH program, right? So for example, Aetna, Aetna have been terrific, right? Once you get your NCQA recognition, NCQA sends that file over to Aetna. Within 90 to 120 days, Aetna starts paying you per member per month stipend, depending where you are in the country. I'll, I'll caveat with that, right? Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, the, but that worked really well, right? Because it meant that Aetna recognized the value in that, was willing to pay that extra per member per month for it, and there was a nice streamlined system to make it happen. So you didn't need to do anything with that. However, most of the time and with most of your payers, you need to approach them and find out, do you have a PCMH contract that we can sign on to? Usually those PCMH contracts have things like a per member per month stipend, so it might be $1, $2, $3. Sometimes they will um, have uh, care coordination codes in there, so now you can start getting paid for some of these codes that speaks directly to care coordination. Sometimes there's bonus metrics in there, like a pay for performance, so if you reach certain HEDIS measures or certain targets, you get paid for that. So you have to ask first, right? And if an insurance company says, no, we don't have any programs like that, go away. You say, not so fast. You know, we have gone through this process. We now, because of this process and because of this recognition, it is widely recognized that being a patient-centered medical home reduces cost, improves value, and improves outcomes. So you're now benefiting from that. So we just want to share in some of those savings. So let's see if we can talk through a negotiation and at least share some of those savings back to the practice that's actually producing that value for, for you, the payer. So we find that those conversations usually go fairly well. Um, what is, uh, I think, most impactful is the larger your practice is and the more lives you know that um, you're impacting, the payers will pay more attention to that than versus, say, a small practice. But if you're a small practice, if you don't ask, you don't get. So you still want to be able to, to ask. But also explore accountable care organizations, independent physician associations, in other words, any sort of collectives that may be you know, in your region, because most of those will have these sort of wraparound value-based contracts that you can take advantage of, and being a PCMH means that you're going to be able to excel and do really well under those contracts. You talked about um, small practices. Let's say, let me ask you about that. Um, uh, is it more difficult? Is it the same? Um, for small practices, big practices, or they all have their own set of challenges and rewards? You know, I, I love the question, and here's why. Because we find that small practices say, oh, I could never go through, you know, something like that. It's just, it's too much work, to, to which we look at and say, let's connect you to some of the small practices that have gone through it, because frankly, you can do it faster and smarter than the larger practices can. There's a reason for that. If you're a solo practitioner or just a, a two-doc practice, you've got a small staff, 
and it's up to you guys. It starts from the top down. So if you're invested in it and you're ready to do it, it gets done, right? With larger groups, you have far more staff, far more people to bring on board and you know everybody to start pulling oars in the same direction. So we actually find that these small practices can go through the program in six to nine months. It often depends on the technology that you have too. There's a number of variables there, but often six to nine months. Whereas the larger practices, it may take them a full 12 to 18 months to actually transition through the program. So we like to think of our, you know, solo doctors or our small practices as lean and mean, you know, and being able to- Small to and navigate. wiry. Small and wiry, that's <laughs> yeah. exactly it, I like that. Yeah, yeah, they're more, able to just get it done. You in know? some cases, more flexible, Absolutely, right? very much so, very much so. And also, if you're not part of a health system, so if you're an independent practice, you're able to steer your ship in a way that's much much more different than if you're with a large healthcare system where there's a lot more politics and there's a lot Consensus more process and everything and else to go through before you can even sort of get it off the ground. Right. Um, what are the two biggest mistakes you think practices make as they're going through uh, the PCMH recognition Trying process. to figure it out themselves, right? So so trying to interpret the standards and really not taking advantage of the resources available to them, whether that's, you know, consultants or whether that's just tapping into sort of the body of knowledge and the resources available through NCQA, but just trying to figure it out themselves is hard. And number two, not asking questions, right? Talk to your EMR vendors. Hey, EMR vendor, are you pre-validated with NCQA? Are there certain points that we have already, you know, that we can begin to build in this program? Do you have resources available to help with us? Talking to the payers. Sometimes payers will actually add care coordinators to your practice or be able to, um, you know, assist with some of the trans transition pieces, particularly managed Medicaid, we find will share data with you, will perhaps be able to provide some resources for you. And some of the recs, you know, though the RECs, the regional um, centers that used to help with the meaningful use piece of that, they, a lot of those now have transitioned to offer some good resources to help with PCMH transition. So, so ask those, don't try and go it alone, don't try and figure it out yourself, and ask questions of anybody and everybody that you can talk to uh, because you will be able to find out and pull together you know, much better resources than just doing it yourself. You talked a little bit about this earlier, the value-based environment, uh, and the written question I have says, where does the PCMH fit into the value-based environment? It's sort of ground zero for it, isn't it? I was just about to say, you can't have value-based without a PCMH or a PCSP, frankly, right? Mm -hmm. So so how do you, so a value-based contract is basically requiring practices to perform at a certain level, to meet certain metrics, to meet certain targets, to hold the line on costs, right, and to produce better outcomes. So that's sort of like saying, hey, I'm gonna task you with all of this, but you've got no roadmap to get there, right? So how on earth can you perform under a contract like that if you don't have a framework for doing so? So to me, PCMH and PCSP is really the framework that you utilize to be able to put in place the processes, the procedures, the quality improvement, the getting the team behind it, the really, really putting the focus on the patient in order to be able to perform under these contracts. And we're only seeing more and more of these contracts. Fee-for-service is sort of dead in the water. What we're really seeing now is if you really, if you want to get paid and get paid appropriate to the work that you do, you're going to have to be able to do something in this sort of performance-based and, and value and quality-based arena. Hmm. Um, you, you spoke about PCSP, but uh, I, that's a perfect segue for we wanted to talk to you about the new uh, the new product here at NCQA for oncology practices. It's essentially PCSP uh, for oncology. Um, tell us your thoughts on that. I was really pleased to see it, right? And here's why. You know, we, we do a lot of work in pediatrics and primary care. Pediatrics is what I'd like to refer to as budget dust. Well, I don't like to say budget dust, but what I'm mm -hmm. saying is one to three percent of healthcare expenditures 
are on sort of preventive care in a population that really isn't sick, right? The other end of the spectrum is oncology, really high cost, you know, high cost around drugs, high cost around delivery, fragmented care, you name it, oncology is dealing with it, right? Because it's just so complex to treat these cases. So to have a special focus on what oncologists can do to be able to tie together these pieces, right? So again, this idea of a framework and a roadmap for being able to pull these things together really helps them accomplish those sorts of things. Unlike sort of patient-centered medical home where we're really focused on, you know, sort of tracking and quality improvement and doing those things uh, that, that usually sit within the, those four walls, oncologists have a lot more demands on them. They're referring patients out for radiology, for imaging, for all kinds of things, and, and also in many cases mental health, right? So being able to have a program that helps them keep all of these things contained, keep it well managed, uh, and actually be able to sort of guide the patient through that is, is absolutely golden. So I think if NCQA were going to concentrate their efforts anywhere in one particular specialty, oncology is absolutely the place that they should have done that, and, and you did. It's a, 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 the, the question, again, back to the written questions were, and I think you've sort of answered that, it there, is that their oncology faces some bigger challenges in many cases, and this takes care of them. Are there some others that you can identify uh, specifically for oncology practices that they would be that helps. Yeah, well I think just this idea of team-based care too, right? So you often have your oncology certified nurses, you know, that are doing things like administering chemotherapy, right? How are they tied back to, for example, the MAs that are doing the care coordination and the outreach, the, the ones that are, you know, tracking down medical records, ones that are setting up appointments, you know, for other pieces of fragmented care. So this idea of sort of, you know, pulling people together into teams, doing huddles where everybody understands the sort of end-to-end -end with the patient really empowers the team to be able to, to have sort of um, insertion at the point of care where they need to, right? So it doesn't become a matter of, you know, uh, an MA doing their piece and flipping the patient over to somebody else. If they're identifying that there's an issue at that point, you know, so you, so for example, you have a patient that comes in that's pretty sick, you're doing, you know, blood pressure, height, weight, and you realize that this patient really probably shouldn't be getting chemo today or really looks like, you know, they, they might be too ill to do it, even though their vitals might, you know, support that they're okay. You know, that's the point to intervene, not just sort of pass the patient off to the next nurse with those vitals being okay. So this idea of really working collectively and collaboratively as a team, helping manage the patient through that, that process at any given time, I think is really important too. Because when we look at oncology care, those are the sorts of things that matter. It's, it's often less about what are the vitals actually saying, more about what's on the pain scale, what were the medications that were taken, when were they taken, how much sleep did the patient get, are they now in a very depressed state? You know, a lot of these things that are very um, sort of fuzzy and it's really speak to the art of medicine, right? It, it's, it's not just cold calculation. There are these elements and aspects to it that really benefit, the patient really benefits from having a team behind them to support that. And the physicians too, right? Having somebody be able to sort of report back on that, telling the, pa the, the physician what they're seeing with the patient and how the patient is responding to them. Maybe different than, you know, the patient sort of perking up or putting on a good face for the physician, right? So I think just this idea of, um, and we touched on it earlier, culturally, right? Creating a different culture through implementing these sorts of transformative programs, I think is really benefiting the patient as well as the teams providing that care. Mm. So I think it will wrap up because we've held you long enough, but I think it's safe to say you are uh, an optimist about this approach to care and, and our future in this. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I don't see any other way of doing it, right? If we just have independent practices, and that, that's truly you know, our love at the Verdon Group, we're very mission-focused. 
our mission is to help keep independent practices independent because we believe that that sort of variation is what provides high quality care. But if we don't offer these practices a way to be able to deliver on that in a way that makes sense and in a way that is replicable, then we're in trouble, right? Because then each practice is sort of fending for themselves, trying to figure out things for themselves, and we really lose the ability to deliver on that really good care. We're burning out physicians at an enormous rate. You know, so how do we stop that burnout? Good processes, teamwork, and support really help with that. So to me, without this sort of framework, we, we really sort of would be lost in terms of independent medical practice. So I'm glad to see, I mean, I think right now it's probably something like 40, 42% of all primary care practices across the country are now recognized under the PCMH uh, program, which is fantastic. I think we've reached the tipping point, frankly, where this has sort of become, you know, now the standard of care. And I think what we're going to see is just more and more patients looking for that, employers looking for that, and payers looking for that. Whether or not they pay for it is another story, but I think they will absolutely be looking, you know, for, for that sort of quality um, that is built from the ground up within these practices. Suzanne Madden, the CEO of the Verdon Group and a patient-centered medical neighborhood optimist. Thank you so much uh, <laughs> for joining us. Thank you. My pleasure.